Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the book of Daniel. We're currently at chapter 1, verse 8. Hi there, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me for this Bible study today. Let's begin reading, why don't we, at verse 8 of chapter 1 of the Old Testament book of Daniel. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials, and the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, their appearance seemed better, and their, they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink, and kept giving them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of them all not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. So we find ourselves in the last part of Daniel chapter 1 looking at and focusing on this decision that Daniel is making at a very historical moment. We found out in the first part of chapter 1 that, that Jerusalem has been conquered and, and some of the uh, choice and elite individuals have been taken away and in exile to the capital city of Babylon. And that uh, they were given this uh, assignment. And this assignment was a three-year upper-level graduate studies kind of uh, education at the University of Babylon. 
And at the end of those three years, they were to enter into special uh, court appointments. Uh, that meant they were going to be serving the, the king of Babylon somewhere in the palace somehow. And uh, we're not told exactly the positions, but but this was going to be some sort of honorable thing. And it seems as though this was a strategy, even though this king was was brutal in many ways in a military advance and a lot of other things, yet there was a certain kind of strategy to incorporate the Jewish people into the Babylonian culture by educating them, re-educating them in many regards, and uh, and showing them the, the advantage of being Babylonian or being Chaldean. And so that's, uh, that's the strategy. Now, what's interesting, we find ourselves then, Daniel knows what is going to happen because of this educational program, this, this regimen that they will be on will include diet. And so Daniel made up his mind, it says at the beginning of verse 8. I want you to notice that here is a Jewish young man. Probably he and his friends are still teenagers at this time. Very, very young, but they are making some very courageous decisions uh, as teenagers. And this meant that Daniel, in advance, made up his mind. You see, Daniel just didn't leave it just to happenstance or just let the thing kind of play out without him making a direct volitional choice in the matter, especially when it came to his own diet of the things that the tyrant was trying to command Daniel and his friends to take into their own personal bodies. This was a decision that Daniel felt like he needed to make and needed to make it soon. Not not during the, the, the fracas or not during the moment, but ahead of the moment, ahead of the time that he would be called upon to do something. Daniel wanted to make up his mind first that he would not do this. You see, the Old Testament had had already given in the law of Moses for the Jewish people uh, these instructions, at least these and lots more. But uh, Exodus chapter 34, verse 15, it says, Otherwise you might make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they would play the harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their gods and someone might invite you to eat of his sacrifice. You see, so Daniel knew by the law of Moses that he would be encountering not just the fact that this was palace food, but this was palace food that had been prepared for a pagan king. That meant this food had been sacrificed or the animals had been sacrificed to a, to a god, to their gods, to multiple numbers of gods. And more than that, these animals had been sacrificed and slaughtered in the sacrifice in ways that might not have accommodated the laws of Moses, especially the idea of blood or strangling. And so that meant a whole bunch of things that that Daniel just said, I can't do this. And he decided to draw the line. And first he drew the line in his own heart, you see. His own conscience came into play and he, he took his stand first in himself, in his own mind, and then before the commander of the officials. Now, the commander also had appointed a uh, 
person in charge of them, an overseer over the the actual duties of the day-to-day activities of the four Jewish men and others as well that were also involved in this same school, in this same uh, classification, you might say. And so Daniel Daniel had already, notice it says in verse 9, God had granted Daniel favor and compassion in the uh, in the sight of the commander of the officials, so that this meant that uh, whoever this fellow was that served Nebuchadnezzar in this project, that somehow God had uh, exercised His grace. That's what that's what that term means. He granted Daniel favor, and uh, uh, Daniel had already been. Uh, uh, exposed to God's grace, but but uh, the the words here at the begin even at the beginning of the of chapter one says that God had ge- uh, the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into Nebuchadnezzar's hand, and that idea that it was God doing the giving. This was a gift. <laughs> Doesn't sound like much of a gift that the Jewish king reigning in Judah had now been given over to this pagan Babylonian king. And uh, and yet that's the way Daniel started this book. And now he continues to say that, that uh, God granted Daniel this rapport, this ability to talk directly to the commander and to uh, make this appeal. Notice that Daniel's commitment wasn't just about taking a stand, but he wanted to take the stand with a very uh, uh, conscientious and a very gracious way, not a a belligerent way or rebellious way or an obnoxious way. You see, Daniel didn't go into this scene with uh, uh, this uh, religious sort of superiority and say uh, say something like, well, you ain't going to make me eat your food, king. Instead, he came to this commander and he offered an alternative. He made a plea in a very uh, kind way to say, why don't we try this first before anything else happens? And because the... Uh, the commander had already said, you're going to cost me my life if it turns out at the end of these three years, you guys look like you're, you, you're just decimated. And uh, uh, that means failure. I failed at my job. And uh, in that day, and with that kind of a tyrannical uh, king and brutal king at that. He may have had some fine qualities, but uh, we're we're yet to find those. Uh, Instead, you see, uh, a fellow that failed his job serving the king, that that was a risk of not uh, being fired. That was a risk of execution. And and so uh, this guy says, Daniel, you put me in a hard position here. And this could mean uh, if if you fail in this, this could be my life. And and so Daniel says, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a proposal." And let's and he he evidently did this with not the commander directly, but with this overseer. And he says he he says, "Test us for just 
10 days, not the entire three-year period. So that, therefore, your whole uh, project, this three-year project in training us boys in the things of Babylon, it won't be at stake yet. This is just for 10 days, and you test us with our diet that we choose rather than this, this other diet that the king has chosen. And he says that at the end of that uh, that time period, that that test period, then uh, if if things aren't going well, then then you see you can do what you want to, it's, but at least you can observe us and you can you can examine us very very early on before this thing um, might cost you your life. And so, and they seem to kind of go along with that, and and so. So that's exactly what happened in verse 14. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. Well, that meant that Daniel and his three friends ate these vegetables and and uh, drank just water, nothing else. And uh, in fact, uh, some people have read this and come up with their own diet as a way to lose weight. What's fascinating is that that's not exactly the way it's described here. It doesn't even say that they lost weight. It says that they seemed better and they were fatter than the youths. That must mean they were more healthy somehow. And uh, that's what that meant because Daniel had the faith to trust his God in the middle of taking this stand about defiling his body so that it would be a testimony to the commander, to the overseer, and eventually to the king of Babylon. We'll be back right after this short interlude. Welcome back. Let's begin looking, uh, continuing on down in this passage. And at verse 16, it says, So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. And so the throughout the entire rest of these this uh, three-year period, this graduate-level studies at the University of Babylon, they continued with their own special diet, their Jewish-approved diet, their kosher diet, and uh, it was better off for them, and they looked better and sounded better. And then it says in verse 17, it says, As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. So here is another expression of God's gift. Here in this chapter, God not only gave the king of Judah into Nebuchadnezzar's hand, he gave Daniel this special rapport with the commander uh, of the officials. 
And then uh, God gave them all, all four of them, knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. And what's interesting is that that Daniel had his own special gift in interpreting dreams and visions. And what's fascinating is that this seems to be the chosen way that God communicated to not only his own people, but through his own people to the this hostile culture, through even the kings themselves, through the rulers. God would use them and their dreams and their visions to speak to Daniel and to them God's plans. This was a very special arrangement, and God had gifted Daniel with this ability so that this would fit in with what God would be doing later on. And of course, we find out about that late in chapters to come about Daniel's special role in interpreting dreams and visions that someone else had. Now, eventually, Daniel had some of his own, and he received direct revelation himself. But otherwise, there were these opportunities that God gave Daniel to interpret what someone else did. Now, what's fascinating is that these kings and rulers who uh, who got these things probably uh, had a lot invested in in uh, all sorts of sorceries and all sorts of of uh, spiritism and and all sorts of pagan practices in order to see into the future one way or the other. And we can only imagine what that might be in making sacrifices to these various gods. But yet, on these particular moments that we have recorded here in Daniel, God stepped in and gave these these rulers certain visions and dreams, and Daniel became the interpreter of those. And that was God's gift, you see, that he gave to these guys in not only their knowledge and their wisdom and their intelligence, but also in Daniel's special gift of interpreting these visions and dreams. So these guys studied. They studied hard. That meant that they knew the Babylonian approach to mathematics, the Babylonian worldview about astronomy, and possibly even learning astrology in with the mix somewhere along the way. And they learned all these things, mathematics and literature and art and history, all from a Babylonian perspective. They spent three years in Babylonian training. And so so this becomes almost like a uh, like an inculcation of the Babylonian way of life, the Chaldean approach to the world and to religion and to government uh, governments and uh, and how they were to be governing the the entire empire. And so uh, that's what this was. It was a training for upper-level society in the Babylonian empire right up next to the king himself. Now, of course, our focus is upon these four Jewish young men, but there were many others in this same school, in this same class, uh, and they were all going to graduate probably about the same time. According to this passage, it it seems that way. And so, uh, what I want you to notice is Daniel and his three friends drew a line with the diet. But you see, they were adaptable 
when it came to their own education, not in the sense uh, that they were uh, they would somehow be um, be brainwashed into uh, into believing the the Babylonian ways, but rather that they could learn these things, so that they could learn what this culture was about, which happened to be hostile to the Jewish way of life. But they learned it and they learned it well. They not only learned it, they learned it in such a fashion and to such a degree as to excel. These guys were at the top of their class. So they they not only just went to uh, went to school with this uh, whole idea I'll do I'll just I'll just be happy if I pass this stupid stuff but they went with the commitment to learn everything they could learn and yet we have all confidence that that meant they weren't compromising anything why because they set out at the very start that they weren't going, going to compromise anything concerning the, the important things of serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of Daniel, and Ananiah, and Hananiah, and Azariah, and Mishael, that is. And so uh, that's what they want to do. And that's where God blessed them. That's what's interesting here. It says, then at the end of the days, which the king had specified, this is verse 18 of chapter 1 of Daniel, uh, had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar, the king talked with them. This is a personal interview. This is about their physique and their health, yes, but it's also about their intelligence and their knowledge and their wisdom and their, uh, they, uh, their, uh, their demeanor, their countenance, it's about everything, their character. And so this was a test, of course. This was their audition. And uh, it, that meant uh, an oral presentation before uh, Nebuchadnezzar the king. And out of, out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so that they excelled. They, they were better. They were better at what they were being chosen to do even though they were not compromising anything. They still were excellent students at an excellent level. And so as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers. So that, so that you see, they learned these things and they learned them well. They learned them so much so that they were superior to the pagan magicians, the, the, uh, the pagan conjurers and the sorcerers and, and those who tried to predict the future by looking at various, various things like the stars or other things. And they, uh, they tried to give wisdom about the unseen world and the, the, um, the beings of of the unseen world, those those creatures that live in the unseen realms of the universe, they tried to give wisdom about that and uh, and the gods they were to worship, and yet and yet Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah they were superior, and that showed it showed even to this king. You see, it's very interesting that that. Uh, uh, Moses went through the same career in many regards, not of his own choosing. 
It says in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. So here was a Jewish young man in an Egyptian culture, a culture that was hostile to Jewishness, a culture that was hostile to Jewish religion and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet Moses was trained in the Egyptian culture, the Egyptian society, the Egyptian education is what I'm trying to say. And so so you see, Daniel sort of followed in that same pattern. All three of his friends also did the same. They took it all in, and they excelled at what they took in and what they uh, contributed to the king. When, uh, when the king had his own professional fortune tellers, and yet Daniel and his three friends uh, just could do a better job. It says, and he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. So he could invite them to come in from who knows where. All around the Babylonian empire, he had a wealth of uh, all of these people he could consult and he could go to. And yet these four young Jewish boys could actually tell him more and give him wiser direction and wiser counsel than anybody else. What's interesting is Daniel then wants to give a little bit of a career uh, direction or at least a career terminal to to, uh, his lifespan before he goes on to other stories and other things in this book, because he concludes chapter one by saying this. He says, and Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. So this is Daniel's way of pointing to the readers of this chapter one, that his career is going to span the lifetime of the existence of the Babylonian Empire. And that's, that's quite a feat. He outlasted the Babylonian Empire. If that can be done, then Daniel did it. That's a fascinating insight to where we're going in this book, is that God gave Daniel not only strength and courage at the moment, he gave Daniel and his three friends the ability to survive and thrive in a hostile culture. This guy Cyrus the king was uh, uh, one of the kings of the Medo-Persian empire. So you see, this is Daniel's hint that he lasted all the way until the Medes and the Persians came and took over Babylon. That's how far his career reached. And that's a great thing to know because Daniel was faithful to the Lord, faithful to his word. Father, we come to you and pray that you would give us the same kind of courage, the same kind of insight, the same kind of ability to discern our culture, to discern our society, the direction of where we might be going, the things that we may have to choose and we may have to decide, the things that we may have to take a stand for, 
And yes, give us discernment about those things that we may have to adapt. We may have to change. And yet there are some things we know you may be calling us to stand and stand strong against the enemy and against even those who are against the gospel. So we pray for that courage and that strength and that health and vitality to not only survive, but possibly even to thrive, even in the midst of being attacked or being diminished or being persecuted. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendal Tony. And join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.